Welcome to Good Christophian Talks. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. And I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post a new episode at the start of each week with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to listen to. And now, let's talk more about this week's talk. This week's class is an exhortation given by Brother Harry Tennant. Uh, we, we don't have a year on this, so this class was sent to us as a suggestion. Um, but I do think it was probably given in Sydney. Uh, he mentions two things, um, which you'll hear, which I think is evidence. And it, it just feels like a class he's giving to, a, um, I guess, foreign audience to him. Um, it's a fantastic exhortation. Uh, it's a kind of a, a study on the concept of hills and valleys um, and how God is our God when we are high and when we are low, um, he is still with us, um, kind of, and he kind of goes into the temptations that we have, um, when life is going good for us or when life is going, um, you know, not, not our way. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's really beautiful. And I was, when I was listening to it, I was trying to think of, you know, why, what is it about brother Harry that is so good? I mean, we, many, of many, many people who are listening, uh, you know, to this podcast might have memories of hearing him in person or, um, you know, or have heard him before on the show. This is his third or fourth time on the podcast. Um, and I think it, I think it is cause we do, we, you know, in, in organizing and working on this, we, we do a lot of, we listen to a lot of talks and I think it's that his, his content, like his, his study and his command of scripture is, is definitely in in the A level. Like he he is, and he does it in this in this class. He um he weaves together a couple of verses that are really cool. I mean, a couple of different concepts um, that you know that that would be worth noting in your Bible. But I think what's really striking about him is his use of words. So kind of his his writing or his poetry, his kind of poetic style, and and that with his use of volume and presentation. Um, like that is what is, I think, top shelf, top level um, in, in what I could learn or many could learn from uh, his example. Um, but then also he's so relatable and he says a couple of things in this exhortation, if you notice, just two or three very personal stories that make him on the level with the audience, and he's and he's doing that, and I think he was like that as a person. I had one interaction with him as a child. He was in, uh, he was at Simi Hills, and I think it was the late '90s or very early 2000s, and I was um, maybe 10, 11, 12 range, and um, was introduced to him, and and just in that minute, you, you know, you just you get these first impressions with certain people where this is a person who. Um, you know, who genuinely cares about you. I, I, I've said that, I've said this a, a lot of times in my life since then. I think you can really tell the quality of people um, for how they treat children. I think there's a special warmness to people who, um, you know, who are willing to reach down and get on the level with a, with a child. Um, and I think, uh, so maybe that's a bias because I had this one experience and then I listened for that in his classes. But, um, but I think that is true from everything I've heard about who he was as a, as a, as a person. And I think that holds in this class. This was just an absolutely beautiful exhortation. Definitely, um, 
exhortative, you know, uh, very uplifting, um, and also lots to think about. Um, but also, I think just a, a treat to spend 20 minutes uh, listening uh, to this person who was a big servant to uh, to the Christophan community and and to our Lord um, Jesus and His Father. So. Very excited to share this one. I think it's a classic, um, and I'm excited. Uh, I hope it's I hope it's useful uh, to, to anyone who gets it. We thank thankful to the sister who sent this one in. And here is Hills and Valleys by Harry Tennant. In the Old Testament, in the first book of Kings, and at chapter 20, if you would like to look there, it's not what you'd imagine to be a likely place for a word of exhortation. It's one of those sections of the Old Testament where war between Israel and her neighbors causes us to imagine that the record is, well, somewhat unsatisfying. But of course, this is the word of God, and it's never like that. And in verse 20 of this chapter, we go right in. First Kings 20, chapter, verse 20. And they slew everyone his man, and the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophets came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go, strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. Verse 28, And there came a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Very primitive mind, those Syrians had, brethren and sisters, a very primitive mind to imagine that the Lord God of Israel could beat them on the hills, but he couldn't beat them in the valleys. And we smile in our two and a half millennia later that people could have had such a primitive mind as to imagine that God is powerful in the hills, but he's not powerful in the valleys. And yet, this was not so primitive a mind as you might imagine. One only has to bring this small incident to today and to remember that there are times when brethren and sisters say that when all goes well, God is with them. But when something which smites them brings them down, then they ask, is the Lord amongst us or not? Oh, the Lord is God of the hills, but is he God of the valleys? There's not a brother alive anywhere in all our world who doesn't have hills and valleys. This is our human experience. Indeed, this is one of the great trials and joys of our living before God. Oh, come and let us praise the Lord together. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and with praise. And we dance with joy with the psalmist and understand exactly what he means. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. We know the hymns, the psalms well enough, and we feel our own heart climbing to the top of the hill and looking out in joy and in delight and praise before God. Indeed, this is how it should be. God intends us to have hills. They are part of our spiritual experience before God. A baptism, a marriage, a sudden relief from disease. And our hearts climb to the top and look out 
and all our sorrows fall away and we stand before God in thankfulness. It's not for nothing that the great men of God in the Old Testament and the New resorted to mountains from time to time. It's not for nothing that God chose mountains from which to make his revelation. They represent in some way the elevation of spirit. But of course, elevation brings its trials, its temptation, its danger. The brother who gets a new job called into the manager's office. I've decided to promote you, William. Ah, that's the moment. A temptation. Not to take the job, but what he does with it when he gets it. The student who graduates at university. The girl who finds, she thinks, by her own finding, an excellent partner and has perhaps somewhat on which to congratulate herself. All these are blessings. How do we use them? Come to the 40th, the second chapter of Isaiah and see how the prophet now gives us here a word of warning and a word of help. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is designed to produce a change, a change so vast in human affairs that it's described here in a whole variety of pictures in the second chapter of Isaiah. We begin, for example, at verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty and upon every one that is lifted up and he shall be brought low and upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up and upon all the oaks of Bashan and upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills that are lifted up and upon every high tower and every fenced wall and upon all the ships of Tarshish and upon all pleasant pictures and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be made low and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day and the idols shall he utterly abolish. There can be no doubt about what the prophet is trying to get over to us here. And if we don't take the message today, we shall be amongst those who at this time will be desolate before the Lord. The second chapter of Isaiah, you know very well, begins that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountain, and all nations shall flow unto it. This is the Lord exalted. And all these other things that have exalted themselves against God will be brought down. And every man has to look when he comes to the breaking of bread to his own heart to see what elevations he has against God, which are idolatry. I remember my wife and I lived in Scotland once, and we had a house that overlooked the estuary to the River Tay. And I used to read this second chapter of Isaiah, where it says that the Lord of hosts shall be against all pleasant pictures. The window was so delightful to look out from. Not that we idolized our house, but the time came when we had to leave it. We left it with tears. You know how it is, how attached you get. And the chapter came back to my mind again. There are things which we become attached to in this life which have to fall away in our service to God, in our moving from place to place. And if we've got things elevated, if you elevate your wife to the detriment of the Lord Jesus Christ, your home, your job, your career, yourself, and that's the greatest danger. If you're just an idol on a mountaintop, then come down before it's too late. The mountaintop, spiritually speaking, the exhilaration is to broaden the view. You don't go into the valleys to get a broader view. We're intended in the mountains to get a wider view of life. 
Let's take advantage of this morning, so to do, in our gathering together as a family, a large family, a small family, part of the larger family of God that finally will be revealed in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is with our experiences from time to time. Some this morning, this morning are on the hills and some are down deep in the valleys, the valleys where there is no light, where the vision seems to be restricted and the soul cramped. And we wonder, we wonder sometimes whether God has left us desolate, whether the valleys are our punishment, whether we are forsaken. And I would like, especially in the feelings of one or two this morning who are experiencing that which comes to every family, sometimes sooner than later, a feeling of intense sorrow, of loss. Is God nearer or is he further away? What's our answer to be? Come to the 95th Psalm. In Psalm 95, oh, just one of the nature psalms, you know, in the Old Testament. So some people would have us believe that the psalmist was merely looking at nature. The psalmist never looked at nature without looking at God. Never. In all his setting forth of nature, he's not just describing the crimson sunset, the green of trees, the rush of rivers, the breath of wind, the glory of the sun. Not this. Everywhere you will find him, on every occasion, taking opportunity to bring forth his God. So, verse 1. O come. Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep, place, are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. And so we go on in a kind of monotonous repetition of nature. But brethren and sisters, the psalm is alive with meaning. He's not talking only about nature. And I think some of us sometimes read our Bibles with our eyes closed and our hearts shut fast. There's exhortation here. Powerful. See it? Verse 4. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. When we're in the valleys, his hands are underneath. You can't fall through. It's the cup of his hands, and none can pluck them from my father's hand, says Jesus, taking up the thought. And sometimes we imagine that our safety is the hilltop, and our desolation the valley. If only we can remember that beneath the God's hands, we shall never fall through. We're in perfect safety. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Rest in God, in the valleys. The valleys are the place of growth. They're the place of chastisement, the places of decision. They are in ordinary life. You fly over a land, something like this land, and have a look at it, a land that is smitten with drought. You see the ribbons of green amidst the brown earth. And where are they? On the mountaintop? Of course not. In the valleys. Where do people cross over from one place to another, from mountaintop to mountaintop? No, in the valleys. These are the places of decision, of fording, of crossing over. A man who enters into, into the valleys in his life will find that these are the places of opportunity. Go to the 84th Psalm. You'll see it here set forth a little more clearly, at least a little more clearly after a moment or two. Not all that clear to begin with. Marvelous Psalm. 
We could spend all morning, all day in this psalm and not exhaust its meaning. I know some of us have come here this morning just as little, timorous, outside people. We feel that we're only, only little in the truth. Well, that's how all of us should feel. But I know sometimes many of us feel inadequate. Of course, the meeting couldn't get on without those who are on the platform, we think. The worship springs from all of us. And God has designed his word to take care for all of us, every one of us. And if you look at the opening of this psalm, you may not have looked carefully before. You'll see something where God is trying to teach us. You know, there are so many brethren and sisters who imagine that the depth of the word of God has to be, in a kind of way, got out of a mine. That uh, there must be some special equipment by which treasures from the word of God should be extracted. Now, this is quite true. There are treasures in the word of God in this way, to be hunted out. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the honor of kings to find it out. It is quite true. But God didn't write his word in that way. He didn't write the gospels in that way. He's written his word in a way where even the simplest mind can glean something if only we'll keep our eyes open. Now, you may not have seen this, this very simple lesson here, brethren and sisters. Once you've seen it, you'll say, that's it. I don't mind which I am of those two. I'm safe. Look in verse 2 then. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Well, that's the cry. And if it doesn't do that, then we're not amongst the children of God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Which are you, a sparrow or a swallow? It doesn't matter. Some of us have got to be sparrows. That's how we're made. And some will be swallows. But both of them find a place before God. Some of us are going to be large vessels. And some of us are going to be small. You can't put drops in your eye from a bucket. There are times when the small vessel must be used. And there are times when the large vessel must be used. And God uses both the sparrow and the swallow. And you go through the word of God and you'll find him constantly telling you this. Looking that he might... Think of the sparrow and think of the swallow. Provided we are in God's court, by his tabernacles, at his altar, we shall be safe. So, brother, if you're only a sparrow, God's called you. And, brother, if you're a swallow, be careful that you don't fly away. Hear the word of God. We come a little further in this psalm because there is a beauty here about the valleys that have to come out, have to come out for us. It's in verse 4 onwards. It's not very clear in the authorized version. I'm sure you will agree. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. Well, that's clear enough. They will still be praising thee. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Not very clear, is it? I have to hunt that for a little while to find out its meaning. Just listen to the touch of the revised version. Brings it out marvelously. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. What a transformation. Got the highways to Zion in your heart? Or the highways of Sydney? Which are they? Do you know, know your way to Zion better than your way about your own city or not? Do you? Do I know my way to Zion better than I know my London? This is the question. Is your heart filled with the highways of Zion? Is it directed there? Are we treading its paths every day? Or are we groveling in the great cities of the world with their interminable squalor of immorality? Their utter hopelessness. 
They have no hope. They're without God in the world if they haven't got something of the highways to Zion. Ah, but verse 6. Who, passing through the valley of Barca, they make it a well. The rain also filleth the pool. Again, not very clear. No, but listen again to the revised version, and you'll find it just lifts something out for us. Who, passing through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. Yea, the early rain covereth it with blessing. And haven't you noticed this? That you can get two brethren, two sisters, hit by identical troubles, and the reaction is so different. You'll get the brother who becomes bitter in his soul. Everything has now turned sour for him. And the sister who, hit by the same trouble, suddenly produces a sympathetic sweetness of understanding that when others have trouble, they go to her. This is the valley. On which side do you go when your trials come? Bitter, complaining, or are you malleable in God's fingers? Can he change your shape? Pattern you, mold you anew, draw you out before him. Well, here's the lesson. There are some of us who just catch our tears in great buckets underneath our eyes. And there are some of us who take our tears and make them water of life for other people. Who, out of the bitterness of our experience, produce refreshing for others. You will never get companionship from a man who lives all the time on the top of the mountains. It's the man who's walked through the valley. Walk through the valley. That's almost scripture, isn't it? Yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. And here it is. The Lord is with us in our valleys. Oh, he passed through his valley. Brethren and sisters, as we now come to the breaking of bread, and our minds pass from our own hills and valleys, we come to those of the Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who himself had his valleys and his mountains. The Mount of Olives, the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember them. These moments he spent with God in mountain tops, And he had his valleys, deep, dark, dreadful, of all thy dreadful acts, O Lord. We sang it this morning. And this is the most dreadful that we now remember, the death of the Son of God. He wasn't, brethren and sisters, crucified in a valley. They couldn't do that. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. His valley was a mountain. He transformed it. It's only an inversion, that's all. And in, in his magnificence of spirit, the deepest possible declivity in his life became the highest elevation that man has ever known. In this, this very moment was his. And he calls us to himself. Outside the city of Jerusalem, down here in its southwestern corner, where the river Kidron road, uh, flows from the Mount of Olives, stands on this side. Round here is the other valley. The valley, which is Gehenna. You've got to make a choice. I've got to make my choice. Where am I going to end? In that valley of destruction, where everything is thrown out of the city? Or do I go into this with him and share his sorrows and become acquainted with his grief? Do I have fellowship with his sufferings that I might know the power of his resurrection? If so, then I shall understand. When, at that last day, we stand before him, and he looks upon us with eyes that brook no veil upon our hearts, what shall we say before him? My beloved is the rose of Sharon, and I 
and the lily of the valley. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm slash GCT or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.